Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Hoop We Can Believe In. We're Tali and Rachie, twins and lifelong sports fans, here to bring you into our growing love for women's basketball and make the case for why this is the sport we should all be watching. Today, we're going to be talking with you about the fluidity that we've come to see in the WNBA. You know, this league has a lot of folks coming and going and teams whose uh, makeup seem to look different now than they did in the beginning of the season. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about why that might be and the different layers of that reality. Um, so Rach, can you start off by telling us why we see so much fluidity in the teams and the players um, in, the w- in the WNBA? Yeah, sure. So I think that the first thing I want to talk about um, when it comes to the, the variability of teams is the fact that for many of the WNBA players, the WNBA is actually like a second job or maybe a first job, but um, for a lot of players, they have a second and a, and a third job. And that is because the WNBA compensation hasn't always been um, something that can cons- sustain someone's whole livelihood. And so there are uh, a tremendous amount of players who have always gone overseas to play for a lot of the year. And actually the overseas um, seasons are often much longer than the WNBA. So from what I understand, you know, you see the, the WNBA season happen in the summer. So from in this year, it's going to be May um, through September, maybe into October, because the Olympics make it a little bit longer. Um, but then right after the season ends, a lot of players are going to go play in Europe. They play in Turkey. They play in France, in China, in Russia, in Israel in many cases. And so they are often subject to these other schedules um, that are long, that are grueling. And what it means is that by the time the WNBA season comes around next year, um, there would potentially be a bunch of players that would be coming um, off of these these uh, leagues that they've played in, um, in Europe, in other parts of the world. And sometimes the schedules have not matched up. Now there's been some work done to really try to match up the schedule so that the WNBA can be the, the primary focus. And we'll talk about that um, in another episode. But it meant that at the beginning of the season, there were plenty of teams who had players who weren't able to just jump right back into the, their starting lineups and might have even missed the training camp. And one um, one team I'm thinking about is the Minnesota Lynx, who one of their best players, Nafisa Collier, had been playing in France and wasn't able to come back for the start of the season. COVID protocols also um, made the... the um, the time that she was out a little bit longer, but the Lynx started out 0-4. They had a, a rocky start and they just didn't have all of their, all of their players. Um, they also ended up adding a really amazing player, uh, Lasia Clarendon, um, to their team, which also made it possible for, uh, the Lynx to, to do as well as they did. And I think that also speaks to another reason why you see so much fluidity. There are only 12 teams. There are only 12 spots on each team. So there's only 144 spots in the whole WNBA and there are far more talented players than there are spots. And so you see players like Lasia Clarendon, who was an amazing, who's always been like an amazing, very stable um, veteran player, uh, point guard. Um, and they had been on the Liberty, um, and the Liberty just, the, the New York Liberty just didn't have enough spots to, to, 
ensure that someone who is a vet like Lasia Clarendon was able to get a spot. And so you actually see a lot of movement around the season of different players who are quite good uh, moving to other teams just because there aren't enough roster spots and because the level of skill is so high. And so you see um, a good amount of movement that also happens um, within the season. So yeah, I would say that players playing overseas um, is definitely one piece of it. I would say that the movement of, of players because of the lack of roster spots is another piece. But one other uh, factor in all of this is injuries. We've seen a lot of really amazing players go down this year. We saw Diana Tarasi. We we saw Candace Parker. We saw Neka Agumike. We saw so many different people. Do you do you have thought, do you have any folks to add who who've been injured? Well, I know Alina Deladon has yes, been out for the entire season up until now. Um, Alicia Clark also mm-hmm. on the Mystics, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, who was an acquisition from the Seattle Storm, an amazing defensive player. We've got to see her amazing style on the sidelines. Oh, yeah but not her amazing play. Um, And so I'm excited to see the Mystics when they get all of their players back, though really starting to shine as they're finding their flow with the players that they do have. Um, We also saw Jonquil Jones have to leave in the middle of the season from the sun an MVP caliber player um, to go play in Bosnia, I think it is. Yeah, for the Eurobasket tournament that I think was connected to the Olympic qualifyings, but that might that might be incorrect. But. And that brings up another sort of variable in the in this WNBA season, which is connected to the Olympics. Um, and so we know that there's going to be a break to make it possible for for the for um, the players who've made the Olympic teams to play. And we're going to see our WNBA players who we've grown to know and love on. On all kinds of different teams across the world, which is going to be really exciting. Um, but it seems like some of those teams have started to practice earlier. And so we've also seen some players have to leave their teams, like Leilani Mitchell on the, on the Washington Mystics as well, who's going to be playing for the Australian team. I know she's already left um, to go play. And so I think one thing that we'll talk about in future episodes is really um, the prioritization or the deprioritization of playing in the WNBA for many of these players who play on different teams. Um, and that something that the WNBA players and staff have been really working on is giving the players an ability to prioritize the WNBA season um, so that they're not coming in late. Um, but in order for them to be able to prioritize it, they have to be compensated in a way that allows them to live their lives and um, and get what they need um, and get what they want. So, so yeah, there are a lot of factors that we see um, and are learning more and more about every time we every time we read something about the WNBA. Um, but we there also seems to be fluidity in that fluidity um, because because of the the um, collective players agreement that we're gonna um, that we're gonna dive into in future episodes. Yeah, and I just want to uh, go back to the point about injuries because I, because I think that all of these pieces are very much intertwined. And, you know, players in the WNBA and just generally uh, women's professional basketball players 
play a lot more basketball than we see often on on the men's side. Men, you know, they make their millions of dollars. They play their five-month, six-month season, whatever it is. Um, and oftentimes, they're definitely training in the in the off-season, but they're often not like going abroad to make another, you know, stack of money because that's what they need. And so um, often I've heard that injuries, the, the amount of injuries that end up plaguing the league comes from the overplaying um, and the the need to play at such a high level for basically 11 months of the year on the women's side. And it's just, it's really incredible what these uh, athletes are doing with their bodies and like the high level that they play at day in and day out, sometimes in the U.S., sometimes wherever else it might be. Um, But it's really, really difficult for bodies to sustain that kind of pressure and play. And, you know, we've seen many of these games. They are battles. I think especially you see players who who play on the inside, the the bigs, the taller ones who play down low. They're really fighting each other in order to to get every point. And at a certain point, you're just going to face injuries. And so we've seen that with the Chicago Guy, Candace Parker, um, we saw that with the LA Sparks, Aneka Agumake, and so... And Shanae. And Shanae, and Shanae Agumake, and so that's really one factor, but I think this also leads to um, one, one like positive note, I suppose, that comes out of all of this fluidity, which is that it brings opportunities to players who might otherwise spend a lot of time on the bench or might not get picked up that season or whatever. Is, and, and we've seen players just totally shine in, um, in the place of, you know, particular players, sometimes the best players on the team. We've seen um, Tina Charles just like carry the whole Washington Mystics squad on her back in light of um, injuries in uh, in the New York Liberty. Rashonda Gray got resigned and has done really wonderfully. Yeah, are there other folks to to add on to that? Um, I'm thinking of Kyla Charles, who oh, has really yeah. stepped up on the Connecticut Sun, who we got to see live a few weeks ago, and that was really exciting. Uh, and, I, and I'm also thinking about the rookies, who mm, yes. I think, like Dana Evans showing up for the sky after getting after getting picked up from Dallas, um, who some of you may remember from the NCAW tournament last um, last spring playing for Louisville. Um, I'm also thinking of... Um, Michaela Onyenwede, who I think has, I don't know if her shine, her rookie shine on the New York Liberty has been because of injuries. Um, but I do think what we're talking about in injuries and players having to go play in other places, creating space for other players to shine, that also seems like it really opens up, um, some things for rookies. And I, I think initially both you and I in the beginning of the season were thinking of, okay, things are going to continue to shift. That keeps things exciting. A team that didn't seem like a real contender in the beginning of the season, like the Sky, like the Lynx, they get to they get to show that later on in the season. I think we were thinking that that was an exciting thing, and it is. Um, but it also seems to be reflective of these real deep inequities, and um, that hopefully are moving in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, we're about to go into um, a five-week Olympic break. Some players are going to be playing for their national teams. Um, some players are going to hopefully get the much-needed rest that they need. But who knows what we'll see, you know, in five weeks from now as new players come back. Hopefully there aren't big injuries, but you never know because of all of these factors. And so who knows what will happen in the second half of, of the season. And and there will be some real excitement to see how things shake out and um in the playoff picture. 
Oh, what's that I hear? Oh, I think that's the buzzer. Well, that's time for us. We want to thank you for joining us and also a really big, deep shout out and gratitude to our executive producer, Liz Ashleman, for making our podcast possible. Um, also to Rachel Fichtenbaum, who is the creator of the name Hoop We Can Believe In, who I think gave us the dream for this being possible. Um, thanks again, everybody. This has been Hoop We Can Believe In. We're Tali and Rachie signing off.